Hey guys, welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. Got a fun-filled episode, a burnout-filled episode. <laughs> this is the, basically the burnout episode if you go off uh, the brand that we're going to be talking about. Mark Trossel is here from yes. Dodge, and he, he's he been working at Dodge since 1992. Um, right now, he's the head of uh, Ram, Mopar, and everything SRT. And he was basically- All the fun stuff, the, basically. The, the fun stuff, for sure. And I mean, he was involved with the Viper, uh, basically designed the, the Charger Hellcat, the Ch- Challenger Charger Hellcat. Had uh, SRT Demon, all that stuff. The also, red eye. The red eye, all that ridiculous, ridiculous stuff. I also have to give a shout out to Jerry Horton for help connect the dots with uh, with Mark. So it was great to have him connect us. Yeah. Speaking of Vipers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So many thanks to Jerry for hooking us up with that. So I don't, I want one of these. Okay. And I, a, a Hellcat. A Hellcat. Okay. A, of any variation. I don't sure. even care. Um, preferably the four-door because it goes a little bit faster. It goes 200 miles an hour. Plus, I could put my kids in the back. Yeah, I love that the four-door actually goes faster just because it's more aerodynamic. Yeah, but boy, nobody's driving. That. I Come on. How many guys do you... <laughs> oh, it only goes 200 miles an hour instead of 206 miles an hour. Yeah, or whatever. So there's 700 horsepower cars for 60 or 70 grand. And that's what blows my mind. You talk also, about value. Yeah, it's just nuts. So yes, value, but you have to. So you then you start looking. Okay, well, um, a Panamera or a nine eleven is one hundred eighty thousand dollars. Why buy one of those? Yeah. And, and then you go, well, the Porsche has the heritage. It's the racing. It's the quality of materials might be better. But man, a hundred thousand dollars more is a tough pill to swallow, knowing that you can have seven hundred horsepower for fifty eight nine ninety five. Wow. And yeah. uh, of course, the the color that I would choose would be the white which is called white knuckle, or you could get blue, which is contusion blue, contusion blue, awesome. <laughs> which is exactly what your, uh, your butt's going to feel like when you're <laughs> launching one of these things. And also maximum steel is a really, Ooh. really, or high octane red. Yeah. And these is, if you think of, uh, isn't there like BS blue or something? Yeah, there's BS blue. I think this is, this is the, the, the medium rare steak of the, a rare steak of the car world. Right. I mean, this is the American steak and potatoes, you know, to the yeah. core. I mean, yeah. this is and it. And what's really cool is that they took a. I think they took a big risk when they first started doing these cars because no one was doing anything like this. No. Even Mustangs were four or five hundred horsepower for Shelby, right. right? Even though obviously the technology was there to really push the envelope because. I mean, 6.2 liter, supercharged, 707 horsepower. With a warranty, with mind a, you. With a warranty, and it yeah. passes the federal regulations, which is absolutely it's amazing. Nuts. I still think, um, even after after doing the interview, that there has to be some guy at the NHTSA going, how do we stop these guys? How do we stop them? How do we stop Dodge? <laughs> <laughs> there must be, there's probably like a little like, office wait, in the corner. Wait, you're telling me this is actually legal? Yeah. How? There's guys <laughs> with there's guys with notebooks, calculators, and pocket protectors at the NHTSA figuring out how to stop Dodge. <laughs> and they keep coming up with new ways to get around it. But so this thing did uh this these things do seven minutes and fifty-one seconds around the Nürburgring for a Challenger. Wow. And that's the same as a BMW F10 M5 competition package, okay. which is $110,000, or very similar to a um, Lamborghini Gallardo LP 564. This which thing is, is as fast as a Gallardo? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, around the, around the track, around the Nürburgring, $200,000, that thing is. And some of this is sheer power, but I have to imagine they... Well, you still have to make it turn, which they obviously can. Well, that's the thing is everybody goes, ah, well, they can't turn. 
Obviously well, obviously, they can. obviously it does. So it's, um, you know, I, I, boy, there was a time when I wrote up a for sale ad for my 911 with the Hellcat first came out. I heard the sound once. It was the Top Gear episode. Okay. When, uh, when Richard Hammond was followed around Italy with a truck full of tires. Exactly. He was followed around with a truck full of tires. There must be, I wonder if there's a conspiracy. Did, did Michelin or, or uh, Pirelli call up? Dodge goes, hey, we want you to design one of these cars. We need to sell more tires. <laughs> we need to increase our <laughs> margins. So what can you guys do for us? Um, yeah. That, so ever since then, I heard the sound, heard the blower, heard the whine, and I just went, oh, my God. It just it impacted something as a car guy in me, something yeah, very so core visceral. and visceral. And uh, yeah, that's uh, it's it's an incredible car. And and I and I think that this is something that we're going to see for this very short period of time. You know, I think they came out in 2015 and you will, we, it's now 2020. I don't think you're going to see these things be around too much longer. It's this real golden era period where this cars like this can actually exist. And I think this is this is it. This is the last hurrah for this type of stuff. Um, so, but before we get to Mark, what have you got for us? Yeah, let's take a quick moment to talk about our sponsor, Worth USA. Worth is a family-owned global company that's been in operation since 1945. They offer high-quality, professional-grade shop supplies and tools with the industry-leading customer service. They also have the world-class line of hand tools that are new to the U.S. market. They're German-made tools with a lifetime warranty. To check them out, head over to worthusa.com and check out all of their products, including some cool new products that I just got to my door to step that I need to share with you, Chris. Yeah, there must be there must that. be something in there for uh, me. There is. Yeah, yeah, the, the shuts, right? I think so, yeah. yeah the came the with the spray gun, too. Yeah, I'll be actually actually be using that pretty soon. I've been working on the should, car quite a bit. I should I've, get that to you. I haven't then. been posting about it because I've kind of been working on it, kind of using the garage as my, you know, my That's deep, your quiet place? It's my quiet place right now. I kind of need it. So I've just been spending some time out there by myself, not posting about it, but I have made some progress. Yeah. So we'll get to project updates next week. Yeah. We'll get those on Monday. But for now, let's get on with Mark. <laughs> Mr. Trossel, so good to have you on the uh, on the podcast, man. Thanks for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. I'm super uh, excited to be here. I uh, am glad you could take time designing kick-ass stuff to uh, to spend it with us. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know what? Design, talking about them and talking about cars is almost just as cool as designing them. So I'm, I'm all in. <laughs> It's yeah, talking about them, designing them, and driving them. Those are both things that we do yeah. pretty much. We spend almost our entire life at this point doing one of those three things, except for the designing part. I'll leave that yeah, to you. Yeah, we don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I do, but no one would want to look at it. That's yeah, all in my private but, diary. But I'm sure you have an opinion, right? Everyone's got a design opinion, though. So oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, so I want to start a little bit about, you know, I'm always interested in how people got to where they are and and what inspired them to become the, the person that they would come down become down the road. Uh, you grew up in Detroit, right? I did, just outside of Detroit, just yeah, in a suburb called uh, Plymouth. What was car culture like in Detroit as a kid? You know, um, you know fortunately, too, I, I had a father who was a, who was a car designer, so it was a pretty big influence on me, you know, and uh, I, you know, I grew up around cars. My dad was a guy, or I'll never forget him, he put a, put a V8, bought, a, bought a, uh, a Vega, Chevy Vega, and uh, he was a big gearhead, and put a V8, pulled a V6 out and put a V8 in it. I remember that. Repainted the car in his garage. He built a 32 Ford Roadster and that. So I was exposed to, you know, that the kind of the hot rodding lifestyle early on. So it was definitely, uh, definitely in my blood. And then, uh, you know, growing up, it was, you know, I'm sure every, every city had the, 
had the town where uh, the street where you would cruise, you know, on the weekends and, you know, see all the hot cars and, you know, be envious of all the guys that had the hot cars at the time and that. So I definitely grew up uh, maybe breaking some rules here and there. On that. <laughs> Does that road still exist in Detroit? Here, that road basically died we had this place called porky's which was the drive-in right and everybody would show up at porky's and they drive there and they drive up and down the strip university avenue university avenue but once porky's got shut down the entire concept of cruising on that street is gone and we don't have one in minneapolis anymore does that still exist there now you know what's funny it's 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 a good question i'm not sure if it so main street in plymouth is where where we used to cruise and it was you know maybe maybe a mile a half long um I'm not sure, but what we have that you may have heard about is Woodward Avenue. Woodward is the, you know, in fact, they, every year there's the Woodward Dream Cruise, they call it here in, in August. And Woodward is a, you know, like a four lane road with uh, stoplights and a whole ton of drag racing that goes on <laughs> in, the, in the summertime. And it was really big in the, in the 60s and 70s, actually. And there are all these, you know, um, you know, stories of, you know, manufacturers taking cars out there and, and actually doing street racing as part of their, you know, their testing and that on it. But that street, that Woodward Avenue is still in the summertime. It's still a really big hangout for everything from exotics to, you know, muscle cars and everything in between. Do you guys take anything over there with like with a hundred percent tint, just kind of show up and drive around and just get reactions from people? That seemed like that would be a good market test for the target market for some of this stuff. You know, the cool thing about living in Detroit area is that, you know, with all the auto manufacturers and suppliers, there are always cool, killer cars running around. You can usually spot them because that most of them will have a manufacturer plate on it. So it takes that, you know, it takes that, that stealth element out of it. But there's definitely cool stuff running around. And you never... You know, with so many, you know, execs driving company cars and that, you never know, like, what exactly is stock and what's not around here. <laughs> well, one thing that's cool about Detroit and Michigan in general is it's a little bit easier to hoon around in anything because your cop cars have have uh, lights on them that are about the size of a trash can. So it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty easy to spot a cop down there. <laughs> it is. Absolutely, it is. You're right. <laughs> so, so what kind of cars were you in love with growing up in Detroit? You know, the, the car. So I grew up in... Um, uh, I got my driver's license in 1986, so it kind of puts it shows my age, so to speak. But you know, I remember the car of 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 kind of my era was the Fox Body Mustang. It was you know that was like the hot car to have. You know, five liter, five liter Mustangs. Um, those were, those were the cool cars, uh, at the time, you know, you always wanted, uh, always envious of the kid that, you know, had the hot, hot new one. I remember my, my first car was actually a Capri, the, 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 you know, the Mercury version of it with a two barrel on it, a four speed. And I remember pulling the two barrel off and put dual exhaust on it, put a four barrel on it. And that. so it was, uh, I was kind of the, the hot, the, the hot cars to have back in the, back in the day, pretty slow cars uh, in by today's standards, that's for sure. Do you sure. still have that car? No, no, no. I sold it when I actually sold it. Um, had it stolen at gunpoint too. Interesting story there. Had it stolen <laughs> at gunpoint wow. while I was in college. Did get it back, uh, but then I sold it when I got out of college. To uh, so, it, was it a manual? Was, was it, a four- yeah, it was a manual. Four- and he was able to drive away. Yeah, go figure, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, what designers did you look up to most when you? 
started uh, looking into cars, drawing cars, did you take any reference or were you kind of just on your own little world drawing things? You know, because I, you know, I always drew, I drew everything from, you know, when I was a you know, little kid and, you know, I always drew, I was the kid in, you know, math class trying to draw cars, not doing my math. And I, you know, I had a good influence from my dad because he was, you know, he was a car designer. So I would definitely say he was, he was a car designer that um, certainly, you know, um, I looked up to and obviously influenced me quite a bit later on. Um, definitely, you know, of my era of going to design school, the, the guys like Chuck Jordan, um, you know, he was the, the head of design, the vice president of design at General Motors, kind of this. And I actually had interned at General Motors during college and got to meet him and present to him and that. And he was just this, you know, iconic, you know, car design guy. You know, he wore these gray suits. He had the gray mat, you know, white hair and, you know, drove Ferraris and stuff, you know, just the, these, these big giant personalities and that. So he was one guy that I was kind of, you know, I was in awe of. And then certainly, um, you know, Tom Gale was, was one that, you know, I got to meet during school and I actually did an internship at Chrysler as well when I was in college and, you know, talk about just a phenomenal designer. Incredible well, he's a, he's a legend at Dodge. He is. He is. And what a gentleman too, which I think, you know, made me look up to him even more because he, he had so much humility, just a nice, you know, just a good person and an amazing car designer on top of it. So what was, what did you learn from him? What was like the number one lesson you took into working at Dodge from Tom Gale? Um, that's a good question. I, you know, I would say that, that, the, the biggest thing that I actually learned from him and probably it's not really design related, but it's more, it's more people, um, is that, you know, you know, in design, there are so many, uh, so many people that influence, um, how the car gets put together and is, is designed and people that we rely on while we're designing a car and that you need to work with all of those people equally, even, even if they're giving you opinions that you don't want to hear. <laughs> I'm sure that never happens. I'm, I'm yeah, sure. Exactly. So, so as you've become a designer, um, over the course of your life, how has your time spent designing cars impacting how you design, how you view the design world around you, whether it's buildings and interior shapes, does that stuff kind of just start taking over your life, walking around, seeing bad design and good design? Is it, or do you just mainly focus on cars in your head? No, you're absolutely right. It's, it's use, you know, as a, as a design, as an industrial designer, you know, I've, um, you know, you see things, um, you know, that, that inspire you, whether it's architecture that, you know, definitely, you know, like a Frank Gehry building or something that's like, wow, that's, that's really cool. Or even, you know, just some things that, that are like iconic or avant-garde in their own way, certainly aesthetics or, you know, other products definitely influence us. You know, you look at, um, as a car designer these days, you know, the user interface is, you know, the connectivity with an automobile, certainly as we go forward, you know, the intuitive quality of, of using, whether you use an iPhone or you know, whatever it is, that, you know, is also put together by a designer. And so those, right. those elements are interchangeable you know, to an automobile interior as well. So certainly I get inspired and, and have respect for, you know, good product design outside of the automotive world. So when the, when Dodge decided that they were going to bring back the charger and the challenger, um, you were there and 
you're not really starting from a blank canvas, right? You're just like, okay, we're going to redo this brand. We have to kind of make it harken back to this other era, but we don't want to, uh, we want to make sure we do it justice. Is, is there a lot of pressure? How do you redesign something that's already been designed and still, you know, have it be something that new buyers are going to want? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely uh, definitely a, an interesting and and can be a, a tough task, right? Because you, um, you know, in the, for the Challenger, for example, that that vehicle, you know, we knew that we wanted it to have a, you know, I'll call it a nostalgic feel. You know, people can say it's retro, um, but we want, you know, the seventy seventy one Challenger to us was kind of the icon, um, if you will, for us, and 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 so we wanted to capture as much of that as possible. And what we did, you know, we did a we did a concept vehicle of it um, to kind of you know test the waters, if you will, and uh, that you know, obviously went over very well where we were headed. So that's kind of what, you know, made us say, you know what, let's keep going in, in that direction with that theme. Because we always look at, I always refer to, refer to it as bookending our design. So we'll look at something that, you know, maybe is either, um, you know, evolutionary and revolutionary or, you know, nostalgic and, and something that's modern as well. So, you know, there were other themes going on that we were looking at, but, you know, we chose to go in the, 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 with the vehicle that kind of played, you know, paid a nod to the 1970 Challenger. Yeah, it's different. Like if you look at Porsche, the 911 has always been around. So they've had a chance to do this natural evolution versus reinventing something. Right, right. Absolutely. And and I mean, to me, I have a lot of respect for, for the 911 because of that. And it has always, it has evolved, but, you know, people can still tell that it's a 911. The, the Jeep Wrangler is a, is another good example of that as well. That vehicle has evolved over time. And that's what we've, what we've been trying to do with the Challenger as well. And what, even what we did with the, with the Viper too. So what do you use for source material? Do you just sit down and watch Vanishing Point like 15 times <laughs> <laughs> or, or what, what, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I absolutely love, you know, I, I, I love, uh, automotive culture for sure. And it's certainly, it's funny you say that actually, because I'll, I actually do movie nights at my place with the designers and have them come over and watch, uh, you know, watch different car movies and things like that, Tulane Blacktop or even American Graffiti. And, you know, there's lots of, there's lots of good ones. In fact, what's, what's the one, The Race? We never saw The Race, but yes. it's, got, it's got a whole bunch of you know, old Mopars in it. A you know, horrible, horrible movie, but, you know, it's just, it's so bad. It's good. And it's got car stuff in it, you know? Kind so, of a self plug here, but we had on the podcast about two months ago, we had the, the stunt driver for The Wraith on the podcast oh, no to talk way, all about. Really? Yeah. It's oh, super, cool. super interesting. I mean, it was just an incredible story of how that movie came together with the cars and the car that they had in there, that DuPont, I think it was one of the DuPont cars uh, or whatever it was. The PPG pace car. Yeah. Right? yeah those yeah. things are so yep. cool. That's, that's yeah. an incredible car. Um, yeah. So h- how do you separate styling versus design when coming up with something that actually has to work in the real world? And I think that's, I think you kind of nailed it actually. I think, you know, to me, styling is, you know, just putting some dressing on something and where design you design it from, you know, with form and function, you know, you design it from the inside out where the proportion or the bones or architecture of the vehicle, where the designer works with engineering. You know, I think there was an era of car design where 
you know, the engineering uh, teams within car companies would kind of set up the, the architecture or, you know, where the windshield was going to be located and, you know, what was the overall length of the vehicle. And then it was given to the, the so-called stylist and they would put their wrapper on it. Where nowadays we work in the design studios to look at, you know, well, what, what, what's a modern proportion? Where, you know, where should those bones of the vehicle be? Where do we want the windshield to be? And so we work more hand in hand with engineering these days to help establish that because that's part of what makes a vehicle look fresh and new. So I think that's the biggest difference between design and, and just styling. Do you uh, kind of lament the deconstruction of the concept uh, to introduce function into it? Because obviously you have the concept, then by the time the real car comes out, you're like, oh, well, it wasn't exactly what I had in mind, but I had to make some compromises. Uh, you know, in, in a lot of cases, when we, we always say that, you know, when the vehicle goes through the, the process of becoming production feasible, it actually, in a lot of time, a lot of cases, it gets better. You know, when we, when we do a sketch, you know, a little bit of the process of what we go through, we'll start off with a, you know, a theme sketch. Um, and we cheat it. We, we always, as designers, we always say we cheat to win. You know, the wheels are gigantic <laughs> wheels, and you know, this little, this low roof, and these crazy cool proportions and that. And you want to, you know, the idea is to make some, you know, your your boss, you know, come in and go, oh my gosh, that that sketch, that's the one we need to do a clay model of. And so then trying to capture the essence of that sketch into a clay model, putting in those feasibility things like, yeah, we know someone's got to get in out of it. We know we have to (laughs) run it into a wall. It's got to fit an engine, you know, just all the manufacturing pieces that go into designing it. As we go through that, it actually starts to take on more of a mature type of feel to it. I'm still trying to capture the essence of that sketch, you know, that emotional quality that, that a you know, piece of art has. Um, but then as it comes through, through production, um, a lot of times it, they actually get better. Um, you know, and we, we spend uh, a lot of time trying to, you know, really hone and develop our vehicle designs because we, you know, a lot of our products, a lot of, you know, Fiat Chrysler products, they're, to us, they're timeless. They, you know, we talked about the Challenger and even the Charger and the Wrangler and, you know, these vehicles that, that have, you know, a, a, a pretty long history to them. And, and so I think, you know, if you can create a vehicle that has that flavor on the road, it, it, it will last longer than something that is very trendy in its design. Sure, sure. So you mentioned clay models. And with the 3D printing revolution, why do you guys still do the clay model. What is the purpose of it? Because you can obviously just print something up and go, oh, well, there it is. But doing the clay model, is it just something about it being organic and hand-formed, or what? what's the reason? Yeah, you know, um, you know, we definitely do a lot of 3D printing, you know, wool mill foam properties, full-size properties out. But the, uh, you know, just as a just as a designer puts pen to paper to, you know, draw the car that, you know, at the end of the day, the customer still washes their car. They still touch it. It's still in their driveway. It's this, you know, piece of sculpture and a clay modeler is also an artist in a sense that they're, you know, making these forms or the shapes of the vehicle, something that is beauty to that you know, that particular vehicle. So the the clay is a great tool for us to very quickly 
make an adjustment to the way the vehicle looks in the design studio and um, evaluate it very quickly. And, you know, with tools, technology these days, we can make the change very quickly by hand. We can scan it electronically, take it back into the, you know, the, the math world, if you will, and create that electronic surface, make sure that it fits over top of what we call bogies, you know, uh, whether it's a bumper beam or, you know, door handle package and um, remill it and, and make sure that we've, we've captured that. So what color do you look at these things in? Is there a color that you prefer to yeah. see the car for the first time? A very good question, actually, because, you know, we when we look at the uh, – we have a film that's called Dynock, and we can paint it any different color, and then the, the sculptors will actually – it's got a, like a, an adhesive on the backside of it, and they'll stretch it over top of the clay. Some of these clay models actually end up looking like real vehicles because the, it's, you know, it, um, the, the materials we put on them are so kind of convincing that it's real paint. But we actually use uh, you know, glossy silver over in a lot of cases. And, and a couple of reasons we do that, you know, people are sensitive to color. You know, if you show someone a red vehicle or a yellow, they may not like that. But the silver allows us to look at reflections and highlights, shadows very well. So, you know, when we design a vehicle, it's, it's important to look at how the, you know, the weights of the body side or the highlights track and the silver uh, allows us to look at that uh, very easily. Yeah, that's that's incredible. So it's so, not a, it's so not a color. plum crazy purple is kind of off the <laughs> yeah, table for that. Exactly, exactly. A plum crazy purple will, will come a little bit later. We certainly, you know, what we will do though, we will, you know, if we are looking at something like plum crazy or something that's you know pretty polarizing, we will paint the Dynock that color and put it on a whether it's a real car or a clay model just to to see if we're how crazy are we with it. <laughs> right. Right. So when the Hellcat program was announced internally, what were your first thoughts? When someone uh, came up and said, "Hey, Mark, we're going to we're going to do 700 horsepower version of these cars. What do you think?" You know, it's funny because the, you know, the everything was in it was a big secret because we didn't want, you know, so you know, the engine guys were working on, you know, the the engine and the the, the horsepower was was the other rumors of how much horsepower it was going to have and the guys we're telling me, you know, how much it's going to have to breathe, you know, how much kind of cooling we're going to need, top speed, you know, the aero balance, you know, we have that front splitter on it. We had to design the spoiler to, you know, keep good aero balance on it. But the thing that, the thing that actually strikes me the most when I look back at like, you know, the Hellcat program and even the Demon program is, you know, people always talk of like, you know, the seventies being kind of the heyday of muscle cars and, and, you know, speed and that. And, you know, to be a part, to be one of the members of the team that worked on the Hellcat and the Demon, I think it's just the most incredible thing in the world to me. And I actually feel like today we are living the heyday of, you know, whether it's supercars, super muscle cars, whatever you want to call it, today is the day we're doing it. So for me, you know, I think that's the that's the big the big piece of of you know of the of, of what I look at as uh the significance of working on those those programs. Yeah, we're definitely in the golden era of motoring. I think everybody's like, oh, it's the 60s and 70s. I said, no, it's now. It's today. This is it. Yeah, yeah, yep, 
Yep. Yeah. Agree. Agree. I mean, you look at, at you know how the horsepower that these cars put out. You know the the fact that they stop. Um, you know you have <laughs> airbags in them. You know satellite. You know radio, and it's it just it goes on and on. Heated and cooled seats. You know, but yet they run a you know ten second quarter mile. <laughs> it's crazy and go two hundred miles an hour. You know. It's, <laughs> speaking of that, what are the NHTSA's thoughts on these cars? Have they called you and been like, hey guys? What are you guys doing with this 700 horsepower, 200 mile per hour car? Do they? How do you get these things to be street legal? How is it possible? Yeah, I know it's it's. Uh, you know, I think we're like I say, I think we're living in an era where you know it's going to become harder and harder to do. You know, these crazy high horsepower types of you know internal combustion engines. Um, the guys do a wonderful job, you know, of, of getting, you know, the fuel economy out of you know, 700 horsepower cars and, and still making them civilized to drive. You know, there's, there's every year there's new regulations that come out on, you know, for emissions and, and, you know, and, and vehicles just from a, even a, you know, crash and rollover standpoint. So it's, it's constantly changing. And we always look at those as challenges, you know, how do we, how do we continue to build things that are going to excite our customers but still meet the letter of the law. <laughs> right, right. So obviously throwing seven or 800 horsepower at a standard street car is, is not, uh, we do that as enthusiasts, right? We just bolt whatever biggest motor in, whatever we want, and then just go do burnouts with drum brakes. But <laughs> for you guys, that's not exactly going to work. What kind of engineering stuff did you guys have to do to make this platform work? Yeah, that's um, it's a good question. The guys, you know, we have you know the the SRT, you know, which is called you know Street and Racing Technology Team, is is really a made of a group of enthusiasts that are guys just like you and me that you know want performance, want those emotional types of vehicles and that. And so they're road, weekend road racers, they're weekend drag racers, and, and they live it. And, you know, they bring that to work and, and that's how they get to work on these cars and, and figure out, you know, what are the, what, you know, with the vehicle platforms and that that we have, how are, how can we make these, these iconic cars? So it's, it's a great team. And you know, I love being a part of it because of that, uh, that enthusiasm that these guys have. So do you guys have a, like a C63 AMG on the dartboard and like an M5 competition on the dartboard? Because it must be, it must feel, because for decades, I mean, the M5 was, you know, highest horsepower sedan ever, blah, 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 German muscle. You know, what's the ment mentality difference between German and American muscle? And how do you guys feel about being able to finally take that crown away from the Germans? You know, I think it's, there, there's definitely, you know, much respect for them. Absolutely. Um, the thing is, though, that we are very proud of our vehicles in the sense that, you know, we look at the Charger, it's a four-door muscle car, and there's not a lot of those out there, and it's because it has those qualities that makes it, you know, and feels like a muscle car. Um, so it's, it's again, you know, much respect to them. We always like to... Um, you know, maybe be a little louder, be a little rougher. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, certainly, you know, bang for the buck um, is is something that you know we've you know definitely you know are, are proud of as well. For you know, with the horsepower um, the, and performance that you're able to get, and whether it's a Charger or Challenger, and that. How so, is that yeah. possible? How are these? How are is it possible that you can sell this car that does 750 on the Nurburgring, which is the same as a, an M5? It's the same as a Lamborghini. How can you do that for sixty grand, seventy grand? How is how how? Please tell me how. <laughs> uh, 
Good question. Efficiency? <laughs> it, it's got to be something. It's, it's just incredible that, you know, you guys are able to make these cars that do this. And, and the sound, how did... How much, how much time was spent engineering the sound of that blower on the car? Oh, yeah. Isn't that awesome? That, that I mean, that to me, that supercharger whine is just absolutely amazing. And, and, you know, when we first had some of the prototypes running around, there were, you know, you know, if you're not really a total car guy, you know, you let some people drive it and they're like, ah, oh, that's, that, that that's too loud. It's like, no, 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 that gives everyone goosebumps. It's a good thing. It's know? a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> so we used to have a, I used to have a Corrado, which had, uh, was yeah. a G60 Volkswagen Corrado and had a G ladder on it, which is like this super weird supercharger, but you would take the silencer off it and uh, put like a lash home or something on there. And the thing would sound like a fire engine. You <laughs> thought that there was a fire within three blocks of you. Anytime you were driving it, yours sounds much, much better. Um, yeah, so good sound. Yeah. Was the demon in the right eye something you guys were considering right away? Or did you guys just, did everybody stop taking their medication at once and then end up in a boardroom <laughs> and this car was a result? What's how it's, I mean, these two cars are just, crazier than just a regular hellcat what's why i just i love it i love it of course but yeah, i mean most yeah. manufacturers are not going to do this and if you look at obviously the gt500 now now in 2020 finally has like 700 and something horsepower but no one else was doing anything like this you know, yeah what's the story that's good um yeah so you know part of the you know, part of our, our attitude is like, well, what's next? What's next? You know, we can't, we don't want to stop. And so, you know, obviously the Hellcat, you know, was just so significant, you know, from horsepower and, you know, performance standpoint. And so we, we, we started looking at, well, what else, what else could we do? What's, you know, and what's our strength, you know, what, what, what can we excel at? And, you know, there's a lot of drag racers and we started talking about, you know, um, Nurburgring times or track times and that, that that's all great but a majority of people drive their car to work every day and they drag race at stoplight to stoplight right they want to be faster than the guy next to them it's a bragging rights thing so we kind of put us down the path of well what if we did a what if we did a drag car and what if what if by the way we made this drag car a street legal drag car that you could you know, have all the pieces to take it to the drag strip and turn it into this crazier drag car as well. And we'll sell you <laughs> this box that comes with it with all these things in it. And, you know, there are crazy ideas. And then we started, you know, kind of dialing it back and saying, well, what can we do? And then, you know, it turned into, can we pop a wheelie with this car? <laughs> <laughs> and we so this is, this is stuff that every, you know, 12 year old boy would do if he was designing a car <laughs> is I want, I was doing wheelies with every hot wheels and micro machines. I had every car was doing a wheelie at all times. So exactly. it's, it's, it's good to know someone in the boardroom is doing that. And, and this stuff is risky when you, yeah. I mean, now we know that it's been largely successful. You know, you guys have had increased sales on these things year after year, they're selling, you know, there's no problems. The market for used ones is really, really good. But before you guys came out with these things, this must've felt a little bit risky. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's always, you know, you're always wondering, like, are we going to, you know, are people going to get this and that? But, you know, I think the good thing, and to to touch a little bit on your question, even from earlier about, you know, how are we able to do these things, is I think that we have a pretty good bandwidth of product, whether it's Charger and the Challenger, in the sense that, you know, you can get a V6 all-wheel drive Challenger with, you know, 300, you know, horsepower, and then some some V8s building all the way up. So there's lots of 
you know, there's a there's a big runway there of product, right. um, and then of course, you know, you kind of throw the gauntlet down with Hellcat and Demon that you know becomes your halo for for those vehicles. So, it definitely was something that um, you know we we um, didn't think that you know that Hellcat. I'm always amazed. I see people get you know Hellcat tattoos and things on their body, and <laughs> like wow, you guys really really embraced it, which is cool to see. <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> that's some dedication for sure. So, yeah, yeah. We're moving, like you say, we're in the golden era of motoring right now. But I mean, 10, 15 years, this V8 can't survive. Is there a place for stuff like the Hellcat and SRT, you know, as we go down the road? Where do we go from here? I, you know, I, I think that, you know, obviously there's always going to be people like you and me out there that want a performance type of vehicle. I think that performance, you know, there's always going to be a performance, whether it's a, you know, an electrified vehicle. And we all know, you know, how, you know, much torque and things that, you know, an electric vehicle can provide. I do think though, um, more than me, hopefully just willing it for my own, for my own (laughs) satisfaction is that there's still that visceral, connection that we have with you know a cold start on a car and and you know rev matching you know and and those those sounds and things that i i truly hope as an enthusiast not just you know someone who works at an oem that 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 continues there continues to be a space for that in the marketplace well it's not even enthusiasts it's at it's as human beings we're we're (laughs) we're sensory driven human beings and whether it's anywhere in your life if you start pulling senses out of anything it becomes natively less interesting yeah yeah agree agree absolutely and you know i think it'll be interesting to see how you know electrification and that changes and that you know do you have some you know more of a mechanical sound that that satisfies that need that we have to hear it and or is it a you know an artificial sound that comes into play it'll be interesting to see how it all evolves as we go forward so we're starting to see all the electric vehicles and they all still look a little bit futuristic. You know, everything kind of looks like it was designed by NASA or something. Um, at, at what point do we see something like a, a regular Ram truck that's just an electric truck that some guy's taken to the job site with his toolbox, with his regular tailgate that maybe opens like seven different ways. But uh, just <laughs> when are we going to get to that point where it's just n- the norm? What do you think? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And it's, it's, a, it's an interesting um, situation with, you know, with our customers, because, you know, depending on the type of product that you talk about, you know, there are some customers, you know, mainstream customers that they don't want anything to look any different, but then there are a lot of customers that say, if I'm, if I'm driving an electric vehicle, I want to look different. I want people to know that I'm, you know, I'm driving a uh, you know, a battery electric vehicle. So we're, you know, we're still navigating that to, to understand, you know, how do we, well, it's the same reason people will drive a Hellcat. They want to be known for driving the Hellcat, you know, yeah, cars are yeah. just so I tied to our identity, whether it's an electric car or something with 700 horsepower, people are making that choice. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So the Viper was discontinued in 2017, but it's such a legend that I imagine here's my theory is Dodge puts it in their back pocket and then as soon as they're ready to release their first hypercar, supercar, whatever it is, something to absolutely trounce a Corvette that's mid-engine and lame, um, what, do you th- <laughs> what do you think something like a new Viper could look like? Without oh. revealing anything, I mean, what do you think this new Viper could be down the road? What would you like to see? 
Well, you know, and, and again, yeah, there's no there, there's no hidden message in anything I'm saying here. But I think, you know, part of um, the strength of of our brands is that you know we you know if it, depending on what the name is that it would have to hold true to what makes that car special. You know, if it's a if it's a future uh, uh, Viper, then you know to me it it should you know, have the, the, the qualities that helped define what a Viper was. If it's a future challenger, um, it should tr- certainly have those same types of cues that, that is part of what made that that car successful and the soul of that car. I think that's an important piece of it is that our cars have a soul and that, you know, anything we do in the future that we try and, you know, retain that soul of those vehicles. As long as the new, whatever the new Viper is, as long as you have to withstand being hit with a baseball bat before you buy one, I think that's, I think that'll be a pretty good barometer for what it is. Um, So you say that uh, you care that cars have soul and are timeless and outside of Dodge, what gives a car these characteristics? What does it take to have a car have soul? Um. You know, it's I, I definitely think that, you know, the, the lines of a vehicle, you know, that uh, that emotional connection that, you know, the visual connection you can have with a vehicle will help it. And then certainly, you know, um, driving a vehicle, you know, it's like you can connect with it. And, and you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about, you know, 911. And, and to me, I look at a Porsche 911 as a vehicle that has a soul to it. And, and it could be because of its history. Um, but you know, those cars definitely have a soul to them. And I think our challenger actually has a soul to it as well. Um, and, and so it's, you know, it's that, that connection that, you know, an automobile can have with a customer that, you know, when you, when you get out of it and you shut the door and you're walking away, you, you, you can't help but look back at it. You know, that, that, you know, that's, that's that soul connection that you can have with a vehicle. Yeah. If you're breaking your own neck with your own car. That's, yeah. prob- that's probably <laughs> the one you for you. Be, or you bought the wrong car, you know? <laughs> that's, or you that's bought absolutely. the car just to get you where you're going, and it's just an appliance, you know, which I get it. There's a, there's a need for that, too. For sure. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. It's been absolutely great having you here. Where can people find out more about what you're doing at Dodge? Well, um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, dodge.com is a, is a good place. There's, uh, you know, got all lots of good videos, lots of good stuff there. Um, you know, I, I've, uh, uh, involved with a, a, a high school car design competition that um, we're super proud of that um, FCA drive for design.com, which we're looking for high school students to uh, design a Ram truck of the future. So it's a, it's a good place. And we've got background on automotive design there and what we do um, in, in the design studios as well. So some good information there. I think that's really cool that you're doing the, the, the design contest because a lot of people will look at art and go, well, you're not going to make any money doing art but something like this with the car design there's there's jobs out there there's ways that you can live and survive being an artist Absolutely. and the world needs more good designers because we all see how much terrible design there is out there <laughs> exactly That's true. i'm with you i'm with you and, and when most people think of of design is certainly automotive design they think of engineering but you know that it's the you know that there's an that artistry that that you know is still there in any single manufacturer and it's we're trying to trying to reach those young people to make them aware of the field of, of automotive design because there's people that love cars love to draw cars and um they can make a great living at it and it's whether the car's driving itself or not 
<laughs> it's gonna need someone's gonna need to design it just like exactly. everything you see in the world as you're walking around somebody designed it whether That's it's right. awful or whether it's beautiful it was designed by somebody so let's you're all go to school right. and design things that look great <laughs> yeah, yep <laughs> well thanks man i really appreciate you coming on and uh this will be out tomorrow morning and uh, we look forward to everybody having a listen awesome my pleasure it was a great time talking to you guys take care yep. of yourself thanks mark okay thanks right. bye-bye that was great. Awesome I, I love the philosophy behind uh, behind Dodge and everything that they're doing. But before we get into our recap, what have you got for us? Yeah, let's take a moment to talk about Petrol Box. Petrol Box is a monthly subscription service made just for you, the car enthusiast. Each month, Petrol Box carefully selects items including tools, detailing supplies, apparel, garage gear, stickers, publications, box them up and send them right there to your doorstep. There's actually two different levels of subscription to choose from. You have the Petrol Box Basic, which gets you less that costs less than $20 a month, and the Petrobox Premium gets you even more gear for $39.95 a month. Be sure to check them out at mypetrolbox.com and use the code OVERCREST at checkout to get $6 off your first month's order. All right. Now, I imagine here, like my theory, and I didn't really want to step on his toes or anything, so I'll explain my theory now. What's your theory? I think that Dodge put that thing in their back pocket and when it's time... You're to, talking about the Viper. The Viper. I think that's going to be their their flagship electric car when they're ready to have their first performance electric car. They'll release that, and that stuff will probably start to trickle down into the Challenger and everything else, and the Charger. I hate that's. Uh, I hate the idea of an electric Viper, though. I don't... Well, you can either have that, or you. it's probably going to be a hybrid, is my guess. Yeah, I suppose. You can either have that, or you can have no Viper, which would you like to have? <laughs> And I th- uh, yeah, and like he says, as long as it it sticks with the soul of what it was originally, which right. is a brutalist car. I mean, it's yep. supposed to feel like, like I said, you should be get be able to withstand being hit with a bat before you buy one because that's basically <laughs> what that car is. It is an absolute savage beast. I've never driven one, but you know, I hear about it all the time that they'll just yeah, they'll just beat you up. And as long as it's that, I'm cool. I'm yeah. fine, just based on the fact that it's either that or nothing. Yeah, and I mean, that's the point that we've reached. And everybody always comments how we've evolved in our thoughts as the podcast has gone on for almost... You and I have? Yeah, over the last two, or maybe just me, the the last 200 episodes. You know, when it started out, I was like, oh, I hate this stuff. It's terrible. I... but. Well, you know, it's it's I've, something that you've just I've come to learn that this is just the way it's going to be. I've definitely had a, a change of mind as of late. We'll have to talk about this next week. But I drove a whole bunch of new cars, one of which being a new Tesla. Right. And it it 100 percent changed my perspective. All right. Well, we look forward to that. We'll have a new episode out on Monday. I I, I, uh, I really thank everybody for putting up with us. Jake being sick and then me <laughs> being uh, out of town with a with a family thing. And uh, but we're back on schedule. We'll have news on Monday. Uh, make sure you head over to uh, patreon.com slash overcrest support the show. Lots of different options for you there. We're going to have some new stuff there. Got some new shirts. All the shirt stuff is finally ordered and coming. So I know that people haven't received their shirts. They're going to be getting all their shirts. Um, and also make sure you head over to iTunes.com and uh, leave us a review on whatever podcatcher that you're using. There's podcatcher? A, that's what they're called. All the apps are called podcatchers. I've never heard of that. Yeah, well, that's what it's called. So all right. there. <laughs> all right, guys. We'll see you on Monday. Take care.